passage from, from this gospel sort of picks up from last week's gospel, but not really. I mean, the themes are, are very similar. But uh, last week, Jesus was at the house of a Pharisee for dinner when he begins to talk about, uh, you know, don't sit at the, at the greatest place of honor and, and be raised up, and then goes on to um, another parable of the great banquet that we didn't hear about, heard about probably in year A, um, or something like that. But, um, and now we're, now we're back to crowds, right? So we're not in just, we're not just in somebody's house, now there's a big crowd, and Jesus is talking to everybody. And when Jesus starts talking to everybody at this near end of his life, things get, things get harder. Things get tougher. Remember Jesus when, when he uh, fed the 5,000 in John's gospel, and then he crossed the other side, and all these people start chasing him down because they want to make him king. He just starts talking longer and longer and longer. And the longer that he talks, the more people go, who does this guy think he is? This is too difficult to hear, and they just leave, and he's left with just, you know, a few, and his, his disciples, and he says, are you going to leave me too? And they say, where are we going to go? We've left everything for you. And so this is, this is sort of along those same lines as Jesus talks to the crowds um, who, are, who are following him, and, and we're on the way to Jerusalem now, and, and Jesus just says, I'll tell you what, Anybody who doesn't hate his father or mother or wife or children or brothers or sisters, even his own self, can't be my disciple. Anybody who doesn't take off his cross and follow me can't be my disciple. Okay. And so, I mean, oftentimes we think of this, this passage as being one almost like a politician, you know, where you say, Come and vote for me. You lose your job. Probably won't have a house to live in. Your wife will probably throw you out. And you'll have no food. And I'll raise your taxes and I'll probably send you off to war where you probably die. So vote for me. Right? And and it's 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 silly, but but NT Wright um, writes there's, there's probably another, there's probably another um, better image to have in your mind, one that we've seen in, in lots of movie, movies before, where you're, where you're, you know, imagine you're on an expedition to bring medication to, to a village that's remote and has no access to the outside world. And, you, and basically, now the leader says, when you get to the place where you have to unload the trucks, all right, this is it. From here on out, there's no turning back. You have to take your, leave your packs behind. Better, you know, phone up, text your mom, your wife. It's very dangerous. The route's going to be tough. There's people that, you know, enemies that don't want us to cross, that don't want us to get there. Some of you may, you know, you may die. It's a treacherous road. There's no turning back now. So who's with me or, or who's not? And this is, this is sort of a better image for, for what it is that Jesus is inviting people into. This, this aspect of, of discipleship means you're going to have to leave things behind. It's a, it's a dangerous, treacherous, glorious 
journey, but one that's going to cost. Jesus says, right, which of you, you know, if you're building a tower, isn't going to know how much they have to spend. Instead, you're going to build, and then when you get halfway through, you have no more money, banks aren't loaning you anything else, and so basically now you're just, everybody's laughing at you. Or if you're a king, and you don't have enough to go against your enemy, you'll send a delegation. Otherwise, you're going to be wiped out. You have to count the cost beforehand, before you start this this journey, and, and this is this is a dual meaning type of type of passage. Also, this, as Jesus always always says, uh, you know, when he when he when he starts when he starts talking, whenever you start talking about towers and things like this, there's there's the image of the temple always underneath it all. And the temple's been being built for a while. Again, Herod the Great, the Herod that, that ordered, you know, that was when, around when Jesus was born. Now we have, like, Herod's kid that around there continuing this project. But the temple project has been going on. Herod's been wanting to build the temple as, as basically a monument to himself and his greatness and continues this temple that Jesus basically says it may never be built. It may never be finished. And indeed, it isn't too long from now that it's going to be torn down. And the same is true with with armies who again and again we talk about how many people wanted to make Jesus king to overthrow the Romans and to restore them back to the way it should have been under David, under Solomon, this great nation and Jesus is saying a couple things. One, you know, using it along the lines of, you know, you better have a delegation of peace if you don't have enough. But also by saying, you don't have enough. And so in this is, is to the people who are following him, this crowd who's following him, saying, if you think you're going to be a great powerful nation and put your whole trust in armies and put your trust in the temple and put your trust in wealth and put your trust in power and put your trust in this way, you're going to be sadly disappointed. Instead, you need to give everything away and take up your cross and follow me. And what we have here is this, what, what Bishop Lyle once wrote as, as a religion that, that costs nothing is worth nothing. And Jesus is basically saying the kingdom of God costs everything because it's worth everything. And we pick up sort of where we left off last week in that, in that the first thing that you do have to do is deny yourself. Deny who you are. Deny your standing. See yourself as receiving the gift of grace and love, of mercy of God. It's not a deserved gift, but a, a generous gift. A gift that's given not because of, of our greatness, but 
because of God's love for us. And this is, this is really what the, the passage of Philemon is all about. Right? Not very many times we come to church and read a whole book of the Bible, but today we did. Right? This, this brief little letter, it'd be, you know, you're not going to hear it again for another three years, so I better say something about it today. Um, but in this passage, Paul writes this, this letter from prison to, to Philemon, not just to Philemon, to Philemon and the whole people that, that gather here, sort of like writing it, you know, I write this to, you know, to Father Scott as the rector of the parish, but basically to all you, right? I write this to St. Matthias, I write this to you and all the people who meet at your house for the church. And he sends greetings and he talks about the partnership, but then we finally get to the point, which is the person standing in front of him with the letter that is delivered, Onesimus, his runaway uh, slave, bond servant, whatever you want to call it. It's hard to, to you know, to um, you know, compare and contrast slavery in that time than, than the way it was in this country. But you sort of get still the image that he had not fulfilled his service yet, and therefore. Uh, is breaking the law as he fled Philemon and went off, and then somehow found Paul, um, who just happened to be the person who preached the gospel to his master Philemon, who started a church. And in the midst of all this time, is is they, they come to this difficult thing, this decision of you need to go back. You need to go back, and, and I'll write a letter for you on your behalf, but you need to go back and, and, and seek um, forgiveness or seek reinstatement or seek whatever it is that happens to you. And, and the biggest part of this letter in some ways is the little parentheses that happens in this, which is um, he was useless to you, but now he's useful, which is a play on words because onisimus means useful. And once upon a time, he was useless. When he was just your servant, he was useless. Now, he can finally be useful to you if you receive him as a brother in Christ. But then Paul really doesn't, he doesn't, well, I mean, he sort of uses that mother guilt, you know, on you a little bit. Like, I, you know, you're not compelled to do anything you don't want to do. You only owe me your whole life. But I know that you'll do even more than I asked for you to do. So there is this part, which, which, may, be, which may be true, but, but here's this, I mean, we, we hear in the, these letters all the time, right? I, I, I mean, if, if I, I feel like if we, started, if we started counting, it's got to be at least a fifth or a sixth of the time that we hear in Christ, there is no... Jew or Gentile or male or female or circumcised or uncircumcised or slave or free. We're all one in Christ. And this is, this is indeed the underlying message of Philemon. That we are all one in Christ. This status that used to exist before should be broken down. This, this passage I don't think was used very often by the slave masters. Um, 
where they would use them. Slaves, obey your masters and priestess. I don't think we had Philemon very often, which basically was the message of forgiveness and receiving and that we're all one together. But it really is the beginning of, of what Jesus is saying. You need to deny yourself. You need to understand. And Jesus isn't really saying, right, we, you know, I didn't mean to gloss over, but Jesus isn't saying you really have to hate your parents and your wife and your kids and your brother and your sister. He's really saying there's, there's God is above all these things. The kingdom of God is of utmost importance. More than what people say. Don't put more emphasis on these people because in reality we're all in this together as brothers and sisters of the living God. Which is sort of the second thing that we have to give up. Not only do we have to give up our own our own self-righteous status and, and, and really embrace that um, that old that old confession, right, where we say, we've erred and strayed for thy sheep like thy ways like lost sheep. And in the old the old way, I think that we're and there is no help in us, right? That we we've cut that part out. We don't like that part. There's no help in us. But this is but it really is it is embracing that reality. That we 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 are people who've erred and strayed from God. There's no help in us. And that God has redeemed us. And that God has redeemed this person. That God has redeemed that person. And you're not any better than anybody else. Redeemed or unredeemed. And that now, what is your value system for the world? Your value system is, is this, this new life in Christ. Of taking up your cross and following. And allowing the grace and love of God to be to be um, the guiding force, the Spirit of God, to, to lead you and direct you. Um, we, and this is, as a, again, similar to what we talked about about last week of, of being being a saint. You can be a saint. Uh, anybody can be a saint so long as they decide that that the 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 human humiliation of following Jesus is okay for them. But they're not dependent on the world's glory. And they're not dependent upon being seen as even effective in the world um, by the world's standards. Or, or remaining anonymous in the world. And, you know, not having yourself plastered everywhere. If this is okay with you, then you're ready, right, to be a follower of the living God. And finally, we, we see that this, um, that it costs, as we said. It costs. It's a utmost cost. And the good news for, the good news for a religion that is, that is, um, that costs nothing is worth nothing, that a, that a religion that costs everything is worth everything. And so, in, in this aspect of our lives, as we come draw near and deeper um, to the glory of, of the living God. 
we understand that in following Jesus, we've gained everything. We've gained life. We, we, don't, put, we don't put our, our trust in the temple or in armies. We don't really even put our trust necessarily in, in the sacraments and in baptism and in all of these things. We put our trust in Jesus. The Jesus who, who brings us and leads us and allows us to go and to minister to the world, to risk our lives for the world. And again, this is what Paul is saying. I will pay you back, which is a great, I'll pay you back. Even though I don't owe you anything, I'll pay you back everything that I owe you. Which is in some ways is, is ironic because Paul's probably never leaving prison. Paul's dying in prison shortly after he writes this letter as he's martyred. And, and again, it's this, it's this push that I'm willing to give up everything. Are you willing to give up everything as you continue to lead your church and proclaim the love of God and Jesus to all who are there gathered with you, worshiping Jesus by receiving this your brother who's come back. Are you willing to put aside your status? Are you willing to put aside your hurt feelings? Are you willing to put aside your wealth that you have in this person who was once useless to you, even though you thought you named him useful. But now he can truly be useful by being a partner in the gospel. And morally, being a living witness for what the gospel means when we come together in Jesus and really, truly are brothers and sisters, regardless of gender and race and status and wealth and everything else. This is the true cross of Christ that we are invited to come and to bear, especially in churches, that we can truly see who we are as redeemed sinners and saints 